This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, November 2nd of 2017, it's episode 120. In this episode, six clickbaity GMing traditions we need to stop. Plus, stealing from other media for our games, ExoSquad, the earliest days of the internet, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And we're back on the mics, which Yay! is pleasant. Yeah. yeah. The nice thing about bonus episodes, of course, is we don't have to devote time to recording them, mm-hmm. other than what Jenny did at Saving in Sphere. The problem, of course, is it's like, it's been a month. Where have we been? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't talked to my co-hosts in like an actual conversation in a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, gaming aside, of course. Yeah. But yeah, it, but I haven't talked to, I haven't talked to in Jenny in like a month. Yeah, I, I yeah exactly. <laughs> last Saturday. Yep. Yeah. So how's everybody been? Good. Yeah, pretty good. good. I've been uh, getting pretty heavy into Oxygen Not Included, if you know that oh, game. Oh, yes. Uh, that That's a cool looking game. It is. It, it was on sale for 20% off. And I was like, you know what? I deserve a treat. And it yeah. has been a treat. And it's been very nice. Excellent. Yeah, my uh, my gaming lately has really been all uh, Final Fantasy X. Our PlayStation 2 finally died. I don't know oh. if I mentioned that previously. PS2 from, I don't know, the start of my marriage. Oh, wow. <laughs> finally gave up the ghost. The problem is I was playing through Final Fantasy X with my five-year-old daughter watching and kind of going over the story with her and, and letting her have fun with that. And she was really into it. And then it died. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and get the HD remake on Steam. And hey, it comes with X2, which I've never played. Uh, A few other things. Cool. So I've been playing through that. And I got to say, the remake is actually amazing. Oh, good. Not only is everything so much clearer and crisper with the HD remake, (laughs) because the PS2 had much lower quality outputs and much Mm -hmm. lower quality rendering. Mm Mm-hmm. They rearranged the soundtrack. So you have the original soundtrack and then you have a redone soundtrack that's still the same music, but it's it's re-recorded and has like different orchestration and certain different beats. So the battle music is a lot more metal now. (laughs) And it it sounds like a group of people got together. And I think this is what happened. They got together and just re-recorded it basically in a studio session. Hmm. So it sounds great. So it's been a lot of fun. Also, weirdly enough. It's the international version, huh? not the U.S. and Japan release. So it has certain things that were not in the original game that I played, like an expert mode for the sphere grid and different abilities that weren't in the original. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. That's cool. Uh, my, yeah. my limited experience with Final Fantasy ports to the PC and then remasterings of them has been shaky, to say the least. So I'm glad that uh, Final Fantasy X did a, did a good job. If you want a good one, I would suggest 10 because first off, it's two games for mm-hmm. the price of one practically because you get both 10 and 10-2, yeah. both of which are excellent from everything I, I've heard about 10-2. And of course, I can tell you the original Final Fantasy 10 is my favorite of the series. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, you've talked about this so much. I just added it to my Steam wish list. I'll watch for a good <laughs> sale. There you go. It's only 30 bucks base price. I'm sure once it's marked down by any significant margin, I'll pull the trigger. Yeah, so. I mean, it. it is a JRPG from the early 2000s with all of its flaws and all of its high points, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is a Final Fantasy game, for better or worse, but it's fun. Anyway, I've been playing through that and finally got to the point where I'm caught up because my daughter was like, well, I don't want to see you do it again, so you can just get back to where we were, right? <laughs> Thanks, child. All right. Not trivially, no. (laughs) Grind my way through this again real quick. Hold on. (laughs) So, yeah, that's been fun. Well, my gaming has been uh, mostly Divinity Original Sin 2, which is a mouthful of a title, Mm -hmm. but it's such a good game. I've heard great things. Yeah. What you have heard has been accurate, I'm sure. I... It's got everything that made the first game in the series excellent, and then they added more of that stuff to it, and... By more of that stuff, I mean things like a narrator who reads the text that isn't delivered by NPCs and several new skill trees and more excellent writing. And it's just (laughs) it's a really good game. Um, Yeah. In particular, it has a few opportunities to do what I like to call petty good deeds in (laughs) it that I, I really liked. Like one of my 
One of my favorite things in Mass Effect 2 was when you're talking to that grieving mother who's lost a child on Omega. Yeah. There's a Paragon interrupt where you just kind of hug her and comfort her. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. There's no interrupt system in Divinity Original Sin 2, but there there is some quantity, not maybe as much as I'd like, but more than most games have, which is nothing usually, of opportunities to just kind of be a good person in the way that normal people are good people and just be compassionate and decent and stuff in the world. So I kind of nice. like that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's a funny thing. I usually watch a lot of uh, Let's Plays for new games that I'm kind of interested in. I watched about five minutes of somebody doing a Let's Play uh, together of Divinity 2. And I was like, nope, I'm putting this up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a game I want to play at some point. I don't want spoilers. I just, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a wise decision. I actually made it all the way to the final act, realized that I had missed some stuff that was going to leave some NPCs that I liked in a bad place in the third act and started all over again. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I ripped through that first act in like a day because I knew exactly where everything was. There was no figuring stuff out anymore. But yeah, it's, mm -hmm. I'm not resenting it at all. I was like, oh, well, I just get to go back through this early content. That was good, too. The other thing going on for me, of course, is um, Super Mario Odyssey has me seriously considering getting a Switch. Oh. <laughs> the other one that I hear Man, is really good, good on the Switch is um, Mario vs. Rabbids, I guess. Is yes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a shockingly good XCOM game. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. Um, My boyfriend works for Ubisoft, and I think he did a little bit of the um, uh, support for that game, like the customer support for that game. Like... Apparently, when they first announced that they were going to be doing it, the entire office that he was in was just like, um, we have no clue how this is going to go. And then as, as they were watching like the video for it, I think it was at E3, they were slowly getting more and more into it. And they were like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe. And a, it's a apparently a really, really decent game, like really yeah, solid. Yeah, I've seen some Let's Plays of it, and they are really good. It's well animated. Mm -hmm. The tactical decision-making is interesting. The ex the exploration is interesting. Yeah. Like, every part of it is neat. And the versus battles are fun. Yeah. And the tactics are, are varied, too. Like, every character gets really interesting, varied powers and stuff and moves. And it's yeah. it just looks really cool. It looks cool. And, of course, Breath of the Wild is, mm -hmm. in and of itself, a reason to buy a whole game yeah. console. So I mean, I'm sort of looking at it more for the puyo puyo tetris but i mean you know to each their own yeah that one not so much for me although um there are a couple other things that intrigue me i'm not one of those people who would rebuy stardew valley for a system i already own stardew valley i'm not yeah. one of those who's gonna be like but i need my one of my favorite games on this system it's like no i've already got it it's cool we're good <laughs> yeah but if you don't have Stardew Valley, that's also a good reason. Yeah. Yes, also, yes. if you if you don't have Darkest Dungeon, that's also a good reason to get a Switch because apparently oh, really? it's going to be on there too. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, that's cool. That's I didn't cool. Know that. Yep. It makes a lot of sense because the inputs on that are really pretty minimal. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's it's a lot of select which skill you're going to use and watch what happens kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So it's very so that, much that just would like work perfectly. Wazda and mouse. So yeah. And not even really so much Wazda, just. A and D. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Le much less so the up and down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it really is amazing that a game with such simple controls can have such deep mechanics, but yeah. they managed it. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. Well, we've got a big topic to tackle here. <laughs> we Why don't we go ahead and- what's going to be the rantiest episode of Saving the Game ever. So let's get exactly. into this. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's completely alight it for a moment more and tackle a Patreon question, shall we? All right. All right. Sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. I'm going to roll a die. Let's see what comes up. This is from Paige Lowe. How blatantly do you steal from other media when you write your campaign? Now, I have not written any campaigns myself. I just have vague ideas for them, and I've only actually run a one-shot before. Um, it was a con game. So I have far less to add to this than I bet you guys do. However, when I do take from stuff for things I write, it's not subtle. I'm not subtle about it. And I just kind of have to hope that the reader or players don't really notice that much. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it's kind of a question of how important whatever I'm stealing is. 
in some cases, like if I'm stealing a whole premise, I spend a lot of time trying to disguise it and make it my own thing. If I'm just kind of stealing a scene, I kind of don't care. <laughs> uh, it's like, well, look, people will get get it or not. And if they they do, it's like, yeah, good job. You caught it rather than, oh, darn, you figured me out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's really the answer here is, does it matter if you steal blatantly? I mean, if you're not writing something for publication, are your players going to think less of you for going, hey, somebody else had a cool idea. Let's play through that and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or put our own spin on it or whatever, because that's what you're really doing in a gaming session. Yeah. yeah. As far as me with this, um, when it comes to stealing from other game resources, especially for the same system, flagrantly, blatantly, unrepentantly, and with both <laughs> hands. Um, yeah. when, I, when I was doing my high magic steam fantasy setting for uh third edition D back in the day i sat there with the iron kingdoms and dragon mech books just sitting right mm-hmm. next to me and it's like yeah i'm <laughs> taking stuff straight out of here i'm not even changing the name Th- this is just in the world you're just gonna have to deal with it and it worked fine there was a a very short-lived game that i tried to run in gurps and it was just too much bookkeeping for me but I actually grabbed a couple of existing role-playing settings and basically bolted them to each other. (laughs) Uh, Three, to be specific. And even kept a lot of the names for everything. And I still would love to get back to that someday. It's just eh, too much bookkeeping. Gonna need something other than GURPS. Mm -hmm. As far as taking stuff from other media, I don't actually do it consciously that often. So I think it probably winds up being camouflaged at least a lot. But that's more a function of the fact that I'm a very off-the-cuff, improvisational-style GM rather than any deliberate effort on my part. Mm. So you can probably see my inspirations, but you won't see stuff that I've straight-lifted because I don't usually prepare that much. Yeah. Okay. I think we answered that shockingly quickly. So, Paige, thanks for your question. Yeah. Uh, If you want to send in questions, first of all, if you are already a Patreon backer, please send in more questions. We've got... A bit of a backlog, but we want to make sure that we have a wide variety of patrons from whom we are getting questions. So Mm -hmm. go ahead and send them in if you haven't. And if you want to support our show, get your question on the air, that sort of thing, just go to patreon.com slash saving the game. It helps us quite a bit. And if you want to help the show out in any other way, the biggest thing to do, if you don't want to support us on Patreon, rate and review us on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or Podchaser or anywhere else like that. Even better than that, tell other people about the show, saying this is a thing I like it's good, or this is a thing I like, it raises some interesting points, or this is a thing I like, I guess it's fine, whatever. Any <laughs> of these this is a thing I don't I like, but fine. for some reason I keep listening. That's <laughs> yeah. fine too, I suppose. <laughs> Modesty demands that I not assume that you like our show if you listen to it, but I assume you wouldn't keep listening repeatedly if you didn't find something of value in it. Regardless, if you share our show around on social media, tell your friends, get them to listen, that sort of thing, that helps us more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And we really appreciate that. All right. Let's tackle our scripture. And get to the ranting. (laughs) Yes. Let's start angrily ranting. This will be fun. I would like to take the Ephesians first. Who wants to take Leviticus? I'll take Leviticus. This is Leviticus 19 verses 14 and 15. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And we have Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 25. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. So we're talking tonight, or perhaps ranting tonight, we'll see how this (laughs) ends, about bad GMing traditions. 
that have somehow stuck around despite everybody we hoped knowing better. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. We've been on the internet a while now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of us. Something like 20 years. Yeah, thereabouts, 27. I had the original Way CompuServe. less so for me. Our family jumped onto the internet pretty late. Yeah, no, I, I jumped on the original CompuServe before this whole World Wide Web thing had gotten off the ground. Yeah, it's probably been like 22, 23 years for me. So granted, despite being the middling person in terms of age, is the early adopter of the internet. Well, my father was, let's be clear, mm. because his job required it. At the risk of getting into a digression before we even start our main topic, I remember my dad coming home with a 100 meg hard drive and both of us looking at this going, how will we ever fill this 100 meg disk? (laughs) Oh, no, I'm crying. I remember a similar experience. (laughs) Uh. 128 kilobytes of RAM used to be just... And unbelievably opulent amount. I mean, it was just, <laughs> oh, yeah. you could just luxuriously bask in all of the spare RAM. Oh, it was <laughs> great. Anyway. 28 kilobytes of it. <laughs> yeah, we have been on the internet for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, some things never change. Naturally, we go to a lot of role-playing game forums and Facebook groups and Twitter conversations and all of these sorts of things. Because we're gamers. Exactly. There is advice we have seen repeated over and over, specifically GMing advice and and GMing traditions, that is absolutely awful and that you should stop. Yeah. Toxic, harmful, just bad. Please stop. Yeah. But the problem is people keep repeating it as good advice. And we all collectively, as listeners, as players, as GMs, as members of the gaming community, need to stamp this out. And that's what we're talking about here. This is going to lead to a conversation next episode as well about what we have kind of colloquially termed battered group syndrome. A term coined by Fear the Boot, I believe. Yes. Possibly. I I don't actually know. But it's what happens when bad GMs or GMs who don't think it through all the way follow this sort of advice. It harms the group, not just while they're under that GM, but even after that GM stops running a game. Mm-hmm. It creates a toxic culture within that gaming group that then can sometimes metastasize and spread to other groups. We'll be talking about that next episode, but we're talking about the roots of it in this episode. So there are six problem behaviors that we have kind of identified in our outline. I'm certain that our listeners can come up with others. I'd love to hear about what those are, mm-hmm. whether in comments on the episode, in our Discord channel, or on Facebook or Twitter. Any of these are fine. But there are six of them that we see actively encouraged very commonly, and we need to have a talk about these. First one up, adversarial GMing. Yep. Yeah. This is where I'm going to start ranting because this one (laughs) is... Okay, so this can basically be described as playing D&D as the GM like it's a board game and your opponents are the players. Yeah, or it, any other game. Just yeah, yeah. It, it turns it into a death match. Party versus the GM. The GM is out to get the players, and if they can handle what the GM throws at them, well, the GM will throw more things at them until they can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, spoiler, if you're the GM in this situation, you will always win. You will always win because you have infinite resources and the players have finite ones. You can literally throw monsters and damage and traps and other bad things at your player group until they all die, regardless of how smart they play, regardless of how well they roll. You can just keep going and going and going and going. You're the GM. If you throw somebody into the Marianas (laughs) Trench, they will drown. Yeah, it's like you're the GM, and it's like, welcome to the white cube room. Here are 10 billion rust monsters. You all appear in this room simultaneously and are suffocated and die. Like, you're the GM, and you can kind of sort of do whatever you want. Yeah, and and sure, that's a very extreme example, but it it goes to show ultimately kind of how imbalanced this is. And, And I say imbalanced for a reason. There is a balance in many games that has to be respected between what the GM can do and what the GM should, should do. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Spider-Man was right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I, I want to stress, this is not a complaint about challenge. Challenge is great. And 
when a game is ostensibly an adventure story that promises danger and daring and action, but is in fact perfectly safe and everybody's got kid gloves on and there's no real threat to any of the characters and don't worry, they get what they want, that gets boring fast. Challenge is not the issue. It's an issue of mindset. The GM should never treat the players or even the player characters as the enemy. The GM should be the player's biggest fan mm -hmm. during the game. Yeah. Now, this gets into kind of a what I don't think should be a controversial opinion, but very much is. Just go on the Internet. It's OK to fudge the occasional die roll to save a PC from a meaningless death. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any negative consequences if something if a player screws up or does something dumb or, you know, rolls badly in a critical situation. But there is more negative stuff out there in the world than just death. <laughs> yeah. Get this through your head, GMs. Killing players is not the only... Well, sorry. Killing player <laughs> characters. Killing players is called murder. And that's a whole different topic. But yep. killing player characters is not the only way to demonstrate that your players have screwed up or that the world is not safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I should add that it's not just killing. It can be crippling, punishing characters. Making a character functionally unplayable yeah. is the same thing. Yeah, a player that is blind, deaf, and has no limbs but is still alive is functionally dead in most games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to stress, too, that I'm not talking about a game where everybody goes in saying, hey, let's have this crazy meat grinder dungeon. Like, if that's the yeah, premise of your game... White Plume cool. Mountain or something like that, you know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tomb of Horrors is famous for a reason, because it's nonsensical and difficult. Do you guys know how Tomb of Horrors was created? No. Okay. So everybody kind of looks at Tomb of Horrors and goes, why would anyone play this? This is stupid. There's a bunch of gotcha traps. You have to kind of guess at a lot of things. It's very silly, right? Mm -hmm. So D&D came out of the wargaming community, mm -hmm. and... The thing about wargamers is they like to have tournaments. They like to have winners. How do you win D&D? Yeah. Well, there were a couple of different tournament formats tried, like who got the most objectives in a certain amount of time. So you had a you know, group sit down and you had multiple groups sit down at multiple tables and they'd all run a module and, okay, we're going to see who collects the most stuff and does the most stuff in this period of time. Mm -hmm. Some of it was who finishes fastest. You're speed running a dungeon, basically. But far and away, the most popular format was who gets the furthest in. And that naturally led to these crazy meat grinder dungeons where everybody at the table had a suite of characters. There was no real characterization going on. It was just here are my selection of characters to introduce. Everybody would be playing one and you'd basically see whose body ended up furthest into the dungeon. <sighs> yeah. Because okay. it's a little bit funny, yeah. but it's also like you have done all this crazy difficult stuff and working together, you flung the last corpse as far as you could in and whoever's <laughs> corpse ended up the furthest in, the referee came up and said, ding, we have a winner. <laughs> when you look at it in that context, that's great. That's, that's yeah. fun. It's, a, it's an exactly. alternate mode of play. You can't help but enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But here's where I think a lot of this adversarial GMing comes from. These modules, they were handed out in plastic bags, basically, uh, because, you know, it was, wasn't worth binding a module for a tournament, right? You, somebody yeah. would create a tournament module and literally print it off, put it in a, a bag and hand it out to each GM. Well, then the GM leaves with the module, sells it off to their local game shop, and someone else picks it up and says, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to run D&D. Oh, Okay. Yep. <laughs> and so the doom of a thousand innocent parties was born. Yeah. And I think that's where this comes from. It's not how D&D, quote unquote, is supposed to be done. So if you're aware of kind of where this comes from, I think it makes some things clear. But it also this is a toxic problem that has persisted for a very long time because it makes playing unfun for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing, too, is it really limits the types of stories you can tell. If you're in a position where any player character can be snatched away by a single bad die roll at any point in time, you're not playing a narrative experience. You're basically playing a tabletop roguelike. Now, if that's what you signed up for, like in the tournament situation, that's probably just a blast. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to do a narrative with that kind of a mindset behind it, everybody at the table, the players and the GM, is going to wind up miserable and you're not going to have much of a story very fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, exactly. very fast. 
This is where I hear stories like of GMs complaining that they're losing a player character every single session. Yeah. Again, if everybody's cool with that, that's one thing. But if your players are like, hey, we want to have this deep narrative and you're just going, I'm racking up a body count. There's a mismatch that has to be addressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to what you said about the dice as well, or rather the lack of narrative and controlling the narrative through killing off players. Monopolizing narrative control is the next thing on our list. Yeah. Now, at its worst, this is railroading, right? You put the adventure on rails. Nobody gets to change anything. The story is going where I say it's going because I've laid out the rails and nobody gets to leave. Mm -hmm. I have heard stories of people literally getting off the road and the GM spawning Tyrannosauruses out in the middle of a field to chase them back onto the road because that's where they needed to go for the plot to be. Yep. Or this is a box canyon. There are 100 mile high walls on all sides and you're in this box canyon. And that's what you can do about it. I remember a Happy Jacks RPG podcast episode, which I won't, strictly speaking, plug here because Happy Jacks is pretty foul at times. And I, I think many of our listeners would have some issue with that, but they are a good podcast. And one of their, the sticks of their format is answering and reading listener emails. And a listener wrote in talking about a particular GM who, if they got off the road and got away from the plot that the the GM had laid out, they would just start taking wandering damage every round. Yikes. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. That's That's that's, crazy. That's bad. Yeah, it's real bad. Now, wandering damage apparently became a joke because they did some nonsense to basically – outheal the wandering damage and just wander off <laughs> which i found just kind of delightful personally. <laughs> wonderful comeuppance for that. Yeah, but you know wandering damage if you're like no i'm going to punish my players for trying to be interested in something there's a problem and i think everybody understands instinctively that railroading is bad in a collaborative storytelling environment i gotta say peter i worry sometimes that my D game is a little bit railroady not really. The The thing that you have the advantage of having that not every GM does is you have players that are like, oh, look, this is an adventure hook. Let's grab it and see what the DM has prepared. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if railroading is the result of GMs who don't necessarily sell their adventure well, or maybe sometimes just straight up have bad adventure hooks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's not hard to follow the quote unquote railroad when you know, you, you walk up to the train car and it's like scenic vistas, exciting adventure, you know, <laughs> all yeah. this other stuff on the side. And it's like, well, clearly all the cool stuff is that way. Let's go see what it is. You know, mm-hmm. There's also a subtler level of this where you're not strictly speaking railroading, but you're narrating everything. Even if the players say we do this, you then grab hold of the narrative and say, all right, your character does this. This is what happens. And this is really not so much, this isn't so much harmful in some cases, it's just a spectacularly missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the time, if, particularly with extraordinary success and failure, if you turn to your player and say, all right, you see what the die says, you tell me what happens, they're going to come up with something more interesting than what you are because... They've still got more creative juice, quote unquote, left in their brain after the evening because they're not having to manage a whole table of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is where I feel GMs who suffer from this need to take a step back from whatever system they are running and play some powered by the apocalypse kind of games. Yeah, because games that have mechanics based on narrative help tremendously. I have my uh, fellowship character sheet right here. Okay. Okay. These are some of the moves that my blind prophet wizard character has, okay? Uh, Dark and terrible. When you denounce the deeds of another, you may take one damage to leave a curse upon them. Tell us the nature of this curse and what must be done to lift it. All right, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've got a move where I have to come up with something narratively in order to explain what this is. You know, there's some some cost to it. That's fine. I don't have my wife's character sheet handy, but she's got various different moves that are I do this and then I explain to the rest of the party what that means. It's it's one of those things where first off, it's tiresome to do this all the time. It's hard work. 
Mm -hmm. Hand some of that off to the players and let them describe it. This is not a movie. This is a collaborative thing. Peter, in our D&D game, I actually kind of struggled with this a little bit because your idea for your character was that he had a more important role in the co in our colony situation than I had for him. I was kind of struggling with it for a little bit. And I finally hit the point where I was like, all right, you know what? Let him do his thing and let's see what happens. Turned out to be much more fun. Yeah. Lambert is actually kind of cool with a little bit of authority. So yeah, something to watch out for, by the way. This is one of those tricky little things that's easily hidden behind dice. And I think that sometimes makes it worse mm -hmm. because whether you want dice to rule over narrative is a, a long running debate, right? And it's really personal preference. Ultimately, the dice rolled like that, I'm sorry, is totally fine in some cases and often exciting. But when the GM picks and chooses when to roll dice or weights the dice with system bonuses and penalties so that there's pretty much a guarantee of whatever outcome they want. That's no different from just making a declaration mm -hmm. and saying, this is what happens. But you're saying, oh, no, no, it's not me. It's my dice. Look, and you can't even take responsibility for making an, a narrative statement about the game. Yeah. Worse, a lot of the time this will be done and GMs will insist even to themselves that that's not what they're doing. It's it's a of blind course. spot for a lot of people. So yeah. here's some glasses. Get rid of the blind spot. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Ten Raven in our uh, Discord channel pointed out that another way to monopolize narrative control is to just ignore things that are previously established. Uh, his example was backstory. Yeah. You know, if you just sort of say, well, we're doing this, but that's not what my character, but we're doing this. That's a problem. Yeah. It's possible to just conveniently or even just incidentally ignore things that we've already established through other action. But, well, it's not how I want the plot to go this time. So, yeah, tough. And it's not hard to go from there to, like, on purpose manipulating words that the players say, which I've also seen happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, Buddy's annoying me, so I go to punch him in the face. Oh, congratulations, you punch him in the face, you kick him in the chest, and then do some quick wrestling moves, and wow, he's dead. You did it. Congratulations. Like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That kind of leads neatly into our next point. Yes. Which is another dice-based one which I lay all of the blame entirely at the foot of the natural 20. Yep. Okay, so this is succeeding so hard you fail. An actual example I recall hearing a player complaining about on this was he was playing a bard. He went to entertain this crowd, like for, I think, a nobleman or something like that in the game, and he rolls his perform check. Natural 20. The GM described the bard as having smashed their expensive and tied to their backstory loot to pieces as part of the performance mm. because they critically no. succeeded. Don't do that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, this yeah. is incredibly frustrating because it's basically you basically are wound up like hoping for mediocrity and that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, and you do, because here's the thing. Let's set aside the issue of critical failure. For a moment, yeah. which is its own problem, but that's a systemic problem and not necessarily what we're talking about here. Some systems just have that built in. Some don't. It's bad game design in many cases, but not always. It's a whole thing. OK, but the whole point of a critical success and a critical failure is that that one in whatever chance of going, oh, boy. And sometimes it's, oh boy, what's going to happen? And sometimes it's, oh yeah, nailed it. I mean, the, the natural 20 at the right time feels amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get a cheer from the whole table. It's great. What happens when you start doing this succeed so hard you fail nonsense is you're stealing that moment of success away from the players. It takes that high and ruins it. And I think sometimes this is just trying to be creative. And sometimes this is an unconscious desire to be adversarial or even just to stay the focus of the game. The GM is always kind of the one in the spotlight. As much as we try and hand the spotlight around to other players, it always bounces back to us and then goes to someone else. Yep. With the exception of a few games specifically designed to avoid that pattern. But everybody tends to be playing off the GM. When that critical success happens, that moment of, oh, finally, oh, nailed it. By ruining that, it says, ah, nope, this was really about me after all. Mm -hmm. And that feels awful. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly selfish. Selfish. That's exactly the right word. Or it's just cruel. Yeah. You know, yep. it, it sometimes it's like, no, I don't want you to succeed. So even though you do, you don't. Yeah. That's awful. It's unpleasant. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and there are all sorts of examples that we've seen. Taking damage from flying bits of enemy after a critical hit. Uh, trying to capture somebody and doing non-lethal damage, but rolling too high and having the GM say, nope, you killed him instead. You did too much damage. Yeah. You rolled too yeah. well. Yeah. This doesn't have to be a critical by the way, in yeah. whatever system we're talking about. This can be, oh, you, you rolled lots of damage? Well, I know you were just trying to knock him out, but no, you just killed him. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah. And for some settings, like if your setting and if the entire group has agreed from the get-go, yes, we want this to be a lethal setting. We want our actions to have dire consequences. All right. Or the game's just really super gritty and, you know, whether yeah. you knock somebody out or kill them is based on a bunch of very complicated rules that you have to kind of, okay, fine, you know, fair. Mm -hmm. In that case, that's what everybody signed up for. But in something like D&D. &D, yeah, I would honestly say that's a game design problem. Yeah. If you can't have the, well, I just come up behind them and well, knock them out. It's very hard to reliably knock people out in real life without doing yeah. serious lasting damage to them so i can understand a very simulationistic game mm -hmm. going that I, way i guess but uh, i yeah. have huge problems I mean, with it from any sort of narrative perspective is such an important convention in fiction that i really mm -hmm. feel like most games should have a way of of doing it that doesn't reliably turn into death you know <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah all right couple others that we need to talk about here Actually, you know what? I have one more thing that I want to throw on the succeeding so hard you fail thing, because this is something that's a good analogy, and it's something from my past life in retail. This is the same toxic well that leads sometimes to service employees getting in trouble because a customer complimented their service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is I've a certain there. class of retail and food service manager out there where if an employee does anything, good or bad, enough to attract the attention of somebody, that's something that needs to be punished. Yep. You want to be like those managers? No, of course you don't. You're a decent human being, so don't be like those managers. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that's going to take some self-awareness. Yeah. If you need to tell your players, hey, call me on this. Yeah. Do it. Any of these things, really. Yeah. And if you feel like you want to add creativity to a success, let the player do it and arbitrate, right? You mm -hmm. know, don't let them be like, hey, I, uh, I rolled a net 20 on my charm check, so now I'm the king. It's probably yeah. not going to happen, right? No. <laughs> but at the same time, don't be like, hey, uh, I rolled natural 20 on my charm check and was really suave with the queen. And now the king has thrown me in the dungeon because he thought I was making eyes at the queen. That's also punishing the player for, yeah. you know, for their success. Instead, say, so what's something extra you get out of this? Or, OK, how does this go even better than you expected. Yeah. Give that to the player. Again, it comes back to narrative control. This is a great opportunity to hand off some of that narrative control in a limited context and practice letting players contribute to your collaborative story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the king example real quickly, I would say if the player looks at you and is like, I don't know. All right. Well, the king is known as a, you know, a gruff, surly old sort, but you were so polite and so, you know, so good with his wife that now you can tell that he actually doesn't hate you as much as he hates just about everybody else in the kingdom because he's a grumpy old sourpuss. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> throw it out to the rest of the table if you have to. Yeah. If you feel like you've put your player on the spot, somebody else probably has an idea. It's yeah. fine. I want to change the order in our notes just a little bit. I want to go to uh, metagaming first. Okay. Because right. I think the other two are kind of very closely related and worth talking about yeah. one after another. Let's talk about metagaming. There has been a lot of bad advice about metagaming put out there, and unfortunately, much of that bad advice has been printed in DM's guides. Yep. Yep. I have a D&D 3.0 DM's guide that says metagaming is bad in every single context and you should never do it. Yep. That's a huge problem. And that's one that I'm actually trying to get over myself because that was my D&D. Metagaming yeah. is evil and bad. And our group did it anyway, and I hated it. Um. Yeah. I, I have news for everyone. Metagaming is awesome when yeah. done right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember, you're both an actor and the audience. Yes. Yep. And the thing about drama is that things are done to entertain, not just to adhere to some bizarre sense of realism. Yeah. Yeah. Metagaming for the purpose of furthering a story is fantastic. Because the whole idea is you look at the, the narrative and say, what would be helpful 
here? What can I do to further this narrative? What can I do to increase the amount of enjoyment we are getting out of this game and this story? That's great. That's what we want. I understand, roughly speaking, the idea of looking at, say, a puzzle from a metagame perspective and knowing how to solve the puzzle. But the mm -hmm. problem with a puzzle is that your character isn't doing any thinking. The player is. Yeah. And if if they have metagame knowledge about that puzzle, they're going to be able to solve it. You're never going to be able to limit it to just what's there. And you probably don't want to because your game will stop. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I do agree that giving metagame explanations for actions within a game can be problematic. If a character does something because there's no way, you know, the story would go any other way, or, well, of course, you know, that there has to be some metagame reason for me to be able to do this, that's a problem, right? If, if you cannot justify an action within the fiction of your game, you have an issue. Yeah. But what we're talking about is changing the fiction of the game or acting appropriately so that there is a viable dramatic route for the character and to give them something to do so that their actions are believable, but also entertaining. Yeah. So a quick example of this from our D&D game was, oh, OK, so the infamous example of this is players are supposed to be totally clueless about trolls and their regeneration the first time they run across them every time in every D&D game. Yes. Mm -hmm. Baloney. Oh, it, it put its head back on or, yeah. oh, it regrew that arm. Yeah. How, however, do we stop this creature from regenerating? And if somebody goes straight to fire, the GM's like, you're cheating. So yes. we bumped into a troll in the last session of our D&D game. And I just kind of stopped and flat out asked Grant, it's like, Lambert is sixth level. He came from this, you know, nature monastery. He's got all these knowledge skills. Is it okay if he just knows how to kill a troll? And Grant was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. <laughs> Great, let's do this thing. Because now I can get to the motivation, which if you've been listening to our podcast for any significant amount of time, you know that that was the hard part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and here's the other thing. How interesting is it to stand around the body of a troll that is knocked out, but is regenerating and try and deal 10 points of damage every round while constantly experimenting with things you happen to have on you until it stops moving. Not very, especially Not very. after the first couple of tries. Yeah. I mean, that's just tedious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's busy work. Yeah, we, we beat this thing down. I drank a fire-breathing potion and torched it right away. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, here's the thing. I kind of sprung this troll on you, right? Yeah. The reason that, you know, a troll has this sort of thing is, let's say... This is a, a very different setting, right? You guys are exploring uh, some farmland or something, and something is picking off uh, sheep and, and cattle and maybe making people go missing, and your player characters are investigating. Uh, Farmer Jones over here, he shot it twice with his crossbow while it was uh, running off with one of his sheep, but didn't seem to do any harm. It, like, he swears those crossbow bolts hit, but... Yeah, we, we found the bolts and there was no blood on them, you know? It's, yeah, it the bolts fell right out. Fell right out. Or Farmer Timmy here, he, uh, he got a good swing at it with its axe, cut its arm right off. The arm crawled off into the woods after it. It's like, okay, well, what in the world is this? That's creepy and weird. We need to do some investigating and find out more about this. That's what these things are for, to, mm -hmm. to kind of make your characters have something to investigate and find out about. Yeah. But in this case, it was just, this has turned it into something that makes combat more difficult and occasionally more interesting because you cut off the head and it tried to bite you on the ankle, yeah. <laughs> which was fun. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, is in the fifth ed rules I, for I'm, trolls, I'm which so I love. I'm so glad that table was in there. I was, at once they finished, I was like, Grant, did you think of that? He's like, nope, I'd love to take credit for it, but it's right there in the monster manual. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun because it, it added some some fun wackiness to a, what could have otherwise been a very dry combat. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did it try and bite me? Yeah. In the foot. Well, and while then we swinging also had the, the, the lovely um, thing of being able to say that our fighter clubbed a troll with its own head a few rounds later, which was just <laughs> glorious. That was pretty great. Yes. <laughs> As it turns out, our fighter is better with improvised weapons than he is with his actual axe. Yeah. <laughs> I have told the story about him trying to pick up a shark and beat a Sahagin to death with it in our first session, right? I don't know that you have. Okay, I think yeah, you've so made happened. reference to it, but yeah. never actually told the story. Yeah, he, he grabbed the shark, but he missed with the attack roll. It was very Aww. sad. Yeah. yeah, it would have been amazing. Anyway, you know, this is one of those things where it's like, is it going to cost me anything to let the players know about this? No. Is it going to make the session more fun? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great, let's do it. 
Yeah. Two others that I want to talk about. By the way, there's a, a good post about metagaming, a blog post from a little while back uh, from the Angry DM. I'm going to link that in the show notes. It's a very good one. So the last two that we want to talk about, they're kind of related. And I think the first is a more general case. The second, perhaps a more specific harming characters to punish players. This is probably the worst advice we routinely see on the internet. And some of mm-hmm. the most consistent. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. I think every single forum I have ever been to, forum or Facebook uh, page that I've been to, has suggested this in some form or another at least once, bare minimum once. Yes. It's just so... Please. It's so passive aggressive. Yeah, just talk. Conflict avoidant and dumb. It's It's very childish. Here's the thing. It's very childish because it is a passive aggressive way of getting back at someone without actually addressing an issue. Yeah. It doesn't address the root problem. Yeah, this is the form it always takes. How do I handle a player who does X? Often X is makes people uncomfortable or doesn't follow the plot or whatever problem behavior real or perceived the gmc's well the answer is try this arbitrary and disconnected consequence yeah in the game a lot of of the time it's just kill their player character yeah yeah i mean that's the the most egregious one but sometimes it's but it's also the most common Uh, it is (sighs) yes because it's the most dramatic yeah it's the most consequenciest of the consequences it is but here's the thing if your solution would not make sense as punishment for a child or a pet misbehaving, do not do it to a player at your table, okay? <laughs> this is some <laughs> passive-aggressive nonsense. If somebody is causing problems and making people uncomfortable at the table, that's not a character issue. That's a player issue. Talk to the player. I know <laughs> there's this weird fallacy in gaming groups of trying to just ignore problems, which is an issue in and of itself for a variety of reasons uh, because it enables all sorts of very bad behavior. But trying to address it through the character misses the point completely because there's no connection between whatever the player is doing and whatever you're going to do to that character in the game. The player will have no idea. And -hmm. if you tell them, then it's just like, well, why didn't you just use your words and talk to me about this like a grown-up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if the player reacts really badly and storms off and leaves the group or something, then at least it's for a logical reason. Yes. Yeah. You know, if if your player is a terrible person and cannot be talked out of their bad ways, well, then at least, you know, this brings it to a head and you don't have to deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things where I think it is most incumbent upon us as Christians to address this properly. If somebody's having is creating issues at the table. Talk with them about it. Mm-hmm. Scripture gives us advice on this. You know, take them aside and talk to them about it. If the behavior doesn't change, bring it up in front of the group. If you have to escalate, you can, but there are good scriptural precedents for just saying, hey, buddy, here's a problem. And then, all right, we're going to talk about this in front of everyone here because you didn't listen when I took you aside and talked about it. We're going to talk about it every, in front of everyone now. This is a problem. You need to change. And there there are certain things that are severe enough where it's like, I'm sorry, dude. You know, people well, feel sure. unsafe with you here at the table. You can't come back. Yeah. Right. Of course. But my, my point is that we should be encouraging other players at the table and ourselves to play with grace. Yeah. To To exhibit grace to each other. And that includes repenting of behaviors that are problematic. Yeah. If we're causing problems for our neighbors, we need to pull back on that. And it's okay to ask other people to do the same. It's funny. When I was creating our rules for our Discord channel, I I spent a lot of time going over different rules. And finally, I had to come up with kind of one rule that sits above all of them, which is simply to show grace to each other. We have to do the same thing at the table, which is not the same as forgiveness necessarily. Forgiveness is part of grace, but it it includes acting out, out of the best interests of everyone at the table, including the person you're addressing, okay? If you allied the problem behavior and just punish them randomly through their character and make the game less fun for them, you're not actually addressing the problem that person has. You're not helping them in any way. You're not leading them towards repentance or self-improvement. You're just being cruel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I understand... I hate to say it, cruelty sometimes has this weird vindictive satisfaction, but it's certainly not healthy. No. No. 
It's certainly not Christian. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> it's vicious. Don't do it. Yeah. And that leads us very neatly into our last thing. Yeah. yeah. And this is a, a specific case, I think, of this general idea of harming characters. We're talking about penalties for missing games. I, I hate to say it, guys. Your game is not the most important thing in everyone's life. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't even be the fifth or the tenth most important thing in most yeah. people's lives. Real life should always, always, always come before the game. Full stop. Yes. End of story. Yeah. yeah. And that includes things that happen away from the table. It ha includes, by the way, the things happening at the table. The real life interaction between players is much more important than the fiction happening in the game you're creating. This yeah. is why concepts like X cards, lines and veils, you know, the consent based gaming, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes or that we've linked to mm -hmm. writing about and stuff. That's why those concepts exist. Exactly. But guess what? The real life that happens away from the table in between sessions, last minute when something comes up, that also matters. It matters much more. <laughs> yep. Boy, back about a year and a half ago when everybody was sick and, you know, your your kids were in school and our other player was, you know, having some life issues. What do you figure we managed to actually not cancel, what, about one game in six or so for a good there was, six months or so there? <laughs> there was a stretch there where we were gaming. Our weekly game happened every six weeks. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? That's what was needed. Mm -hmm. And... Every person in the gaming group is in a better place now than they were a year and a half ago. Yep. Oh, and by the way, that did not kill the game. Nope, certainly yeah. didn't. Now, I understand that for some people, it might kill the game. I get that. Life is tough that way. Yep. Games mm -hmm. have a very bad habit of dying on first contact with the reality of people's schedules. Yeah, <laughs> holidays killing off games are very common. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know what, Peter, our little gaming group of just four people, which makes it easier, yep. has probably killed half the games we've tried. Something like that. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. I mean, there were a few that were designed to be short, so oh, sure, I don't know sure. if I'm, we I'm count not those, those as killed. Not counting those, but like our GURPS game and the werewolf yep. game and I would say even the Shadowrun game. Yeah. Yeah. That one died because we just got paralyzed with indecision for what, about a month? And we're just kind of like, and the momentum is gone. And then we had some real life stuff come up and it's like, all right, well, let's just try something else. These things happen. The inspector's game. Sure. Uh, that was just a filler anyways, but it was filler, but we, it was fun. we stopped in the middle of the second session, second adventure plot, whatever it was, second episode. Yeah. And never came back to it. But mm -hmm. here's the thing. There are people who will say, well, if you miss a game, I will punish your character as a result. One that I heard specifically was for every session you miss, your character loses something important to them. Like, say, their arm or their leg, or maybe just a foot if you come in halfway through the session. Like, that's just pure cruelty. It's petty, vindictive yeah. cruelty. Time with me listening to my story needs to be the most important thing in your life. Not, I don't know, your kids, your, your final exam. Yeah. <laughs> your not, job. Yeah. Not being literally in the hospital. Time um, with grandma. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? These things are all much more important than a game with friends. And they're certainly more important than a pickup game at the game store with people you aren't necessarily friends with. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you'll develop friendships out of that. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of fellowship is to strengthen those bonds. Even if it's not friendship, it's, you know, a good solid fellowship with people that you've come to enjoy spending some time with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get but, a sense of camaraderie at least. Yeah, but you know what? These things matter more. Yeah. Yep. If you have somebody who misses a lot of sessions or is unreliable about showing up, talk with them. Mm -hmm. Again, speak with the person about the problem instead of punishing them for having a problem. Yeah. So here's another thing. Sometimes you will be in a situation where you have somebody who is so cool that you just want them in your game whenever you can get them. There's a particular woman who gamed with us for a while during some of those games that died off that we talked about that falls into this category. But she's insanely busy. She's working on advanced degrees. She has a job as a teacher. Just her life is just this flurry of activity. So give that player a character like an important NPC or even just a, a character that's got something setting appropriate about them that makes them come and go as the player themselves does. 
Mm-hmm. And in a fantasy setting, maybe they're a ghost or somebody with this weird, like, trans-dimensional thing where they, you know, occasionally phase into another world and, you know, you can talk about what happened while they were there and then they phase back and rejoin the party later. You can figure something out. Mm-hmm. Like, Grant, your character in the GURPS game was an in artificial intelligence. All I would have had to have done to explain your absence from a session would be a bad radio connection out in the field. Yeah. yeah. And that was by design because that was what I you think were, you did that. Yeah. You were yeah. you were suffering from some illness at the time. And some groups don't even bother doing that much. It like yeah. in, in the games that I was in when I was a kid, players just popped into this world and then ceased to exist and then popped back in and there was no explanation. We didn't do this this story reason it just it just happened and we just knew that it would happen and it was okay um i know that some for some groups that would break a little bit of immersion but we just wanted to get up and go whenever we had enough people to play and that's just yeah, how it and worked for just us to kind of reiterate a previous point your immersion is not worth somebody else's life yeah you know it's it, your sense of immersion in the game does not supersede Somebody else needing to take care of school, work, family, you know, their own stress issues, and they just aren't able to be social that night, whatever it is. Yeah. Now, I do want to say there are times when people make a commitment to show up to a game to do their best, barring exigent circumstances, and they can't live up to that commitment. It happens. Yeah. Maybe they didn't understand how busy they would be. Maybe they didn't realize they didn't really want to play and keep coming up with excuses to not be in your game. Or maybe the exigent circumstances just come thick and fast like they did for our group for that sure. season. And, but here's the thing. Even if somebody doesn't have a good reason, even if it's just, oh, yeah, I, I just keep forgetting. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, that was tonight. My bad. Even if it's just somebody who's a complete flake, that is not a reason to be cruel to them. It's a reason to have a conversation and say, listen, are you sure you want to be in this game? Because it feels like you're avoiding it. If you want to be yeah. out, that's fine. Or what can we do to help you engage with it? What can we do to help you remember that you have a game? If this is something that they constantly forget, do you think this is the only thing they're forgetting? Yeah. They may need some help with that. Or you may just need to say, you know what? This might not be the game for you because you're doing everything you can to avoid it. If you don't want to be here, I am totally fine with that. I will miss hanging out with you. But I would rather you do something you want to do than be miserable and constantly be a little rude to everyone else by not showing up when everyone expects you to be there. Or if you want to hang out with this group, but you just don't feel like doing the game, well, show up before and after, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, or hey, why don't we just do board games or something? You know, there are ways to address it, but have a conversation with that person rather than vindictively, again, punishing someone for having a problem does not solve the problem. No. No. It just makes them feel bad about having other obligations. And no, that's not going to increase attendance. It's going to get people to stop talking to you. And if the person has issues with like anxiety or depression already, congratulations, you just took a very real problem and made it worse. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think we've ranted about these sufficiently. Does anybody have any other rants we need to address here? So many, but I will I will abstain. Yeah. Right, <laughs> we we can we can wait for for uh, the next episode, I think. Yeah. So next episode yeah. we're going to be talking about battered group syndrome. This idea basically that all of these behaviors leave their marks on groups and groups come to expect these and treat them as normal. So I have some homework for our listeners. I want to hear about cases where you've seen this. Maybe you've joined a group and realized the culture in this group is absolutely toxic because GMs have done terrible things to this group. Or somebody has has taught groups that this is how we play and it's just absolutely unfun and nobody's having nobody's getting any enjoyment out of the game. I want to hear about any of those stories you have or cases, even better, of how you fixed this or how you've heard of other people fixing it or cases where somebody joined your group and you all went, oh, there are better ways to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to hear those stories because those would be fantastic. And I, I don't mind reading those on the air. Yeah. And I, I will also say that that kind of information is not super time sensitive to this series. I mean, obviously, if you can get it in the time between when this episode drops and when we record the next one, fantastic. But yeah. that's going to be what, be about clear. a four day window. Uh, two days because yeah. it drops on Tuesday and then yeah, we record, and we record Thursday, on Thursday. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. 
you won't have a huge amount of time before we're recording. But, you know, if something comes up and you, you listen to this on the Tuesday, it drops and you're like, I know the thing. Please feel free to get it to us Tuesday or Wednesday so we can reference that on Thursday. Yeah. Or, yeah. or like Thursday before like yeah. seven Eastern. Yeah. Yeah. Anything yeah. like that. But point being, if you have a story like this, even if it doesn't come out in time for us to record it. Post it in our comments, post it on our Facebook feed, tweet it at us, and we'll talk Mention about it. Mention it in the, in the Discord. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great place to have conversations about all this sort of thing. All right. I think finally, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody yeah. else got anything? <laughs> nope. Uh, be nice. Yes. yes be, be very nice. Be excellent to each other. Yeah. Reflect God's grace at the table. Be good to your neighbors. What is the first and greatest commitment? Yeah. Love, love the Lord your God. The Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And, and the second love your is this. neighbor as yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Show that love. You'll get much further in life and at the gaming table, which is a part of your life, than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.